0: I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, it's on page 819 in the Pew Bible. Uh, We're going to be looking at the account of uh, Daniel when he was um, thrown into the lion's den today. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word. Your word is life. Uh, your word restores the soul. Uh, your word is meat. Your word is food. It nourishes us. Um, it helps us to grow. It strengthens our faith. It, uh, your Holy Spirit uses it to bring transformation, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would do all those things today as we attend to your preached word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, one of the, one of the primary themes of the whole book of Daniel, and it's really display, it's really on display in chapter six, is this, that God is in control. God is in control. He is always, no matter what, in control. Even when it doesn't seem like it, God is in control. Even when it seems like someone else is running the show, God is in control. Remember, remember Job? Job? Uh, Satan hammered Job, but God was the one that set the boundaries. That he, He's the one that established the boundaries. Remember Joseph. Thirteen years he was separated from his family in a foreign land. Uh, most of that time in slavery or in prison. Was God in control in that situation? Well, Joseph's own words to his brothers were this, You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. To bring about the present result, the survival of many people. God is in control even when it seems his followers are at the mercy of others. That's the theme of Daniel 6 that we're going to look at today. God's control and our response to the fact that God is in control. So we're going to work through this account and highlight some points along the way. But let me just give you a brief introduction to the person of Daniel, to the, to the man himself, to the prophet. And some of you know this already, but Daniel... Daniel grew up in Judah, likely in Jerusalem itself. Um, The exile began when he was a young man, maybe even a teenager. So when he was a young man, Babylon invaded Judah and Daniel and several others were captured and were taken far away into into the foreign country of Babylon. And there Daniel and some of his companions were trained and educated for three years to serve the foreign king. Uh, the king who had uh, removed them from their homeland, Nebuchadnezzar. And through the decades now, Daniel has served at least a couple different Babylonian kings. And in fact, he's outlasted the Babylonians in the land of Babylon. In chapter 6, the Persians are now in charge. They've conquered the Babylonians. And Daniel here is a much older man, uh, probably in his 80s at least at this point. And he is in the service of King Darius, King Darius of the Persians. Now, uh, let's get into our text. And first of all, we're going to look at the enemy who roars. The enemy who roars. And let's look at verses 1 through 3. Darius decided, this is the king, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm and over them, three administrators, including Daniel, these satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. So Darius is organizing his kingdom, and he's placed in position all throughout his kingdom on 120 satraps, some kind of leader or official administrator, organizer. And over these 120 satraps, then we have three administrators to whom the satraps um, uh, report to. And we see here that the king is really pleased with Daniel and that he plans to elevate Daniel even further, putting him over the entire um, realm. Uh, Promotion for Daniel, even in this foreign country, is not something that is new to him. Um, He's promoted If you read through Daniel, he's promoted in chapter one, he's promoted in chapter two, he's promoted in chapter five, and now he's again promoted in chapter six. And always, it's not because he's an ambitious man. It's not because he's ambitious for power, but always it's because he's a man of integrity. It's because he's a man of faith. It's because he's a man of God. And that, because he's faithful to the Lord, that translates into being a good man for whomever he serves, even if it's a foreign power. And by the way, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, that should translate into your work. It shouldn't translate, it should translate into your employment as you are a good employee. You're a good manager, you're a good boss or whatever. You should have a great work ethic if you're a believer. Daniel is an example of that. So, the king has seen his excellent spirit, if you will. And he desires to put the realm under his control. He has the favor, favorable um, attention of the king. But that also makes Daniel out to be a target uh, for others. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy. And no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the others, all the other leaders, are jealous. They are not happy with the fact that um, Daniel is soon to be promoted, and they aim to bring him down. And so they're searching around and trying to find if there's any skeletons in in his closet, if there's any flaw at all. At all in the way he uh, works, conducts himself, but his character is admirable and it's sterling. There's no corruption, no fault, no negligence, no grounds for complaint, no error. He's simply trustworthy and faithful in all he does to the Lord and to the king he serves. There's no legitimate issue that they can capitalize on or amplify. And so now they have to get creative. And in verse five, we just read that they decide that they're going to have to somehow find fault with him. They're going to have to use his faith Against him. That's what they're going to have to do. So look at verses 6 through 9 then. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the document. So Daniel's enemies approach the king and they say, we've got got this great idea. We think you're such a great king. Here's the idea, and you should make this a law, that no one is to pray to anyone except you. No one is to petition anyone except you, not even their God or any other person. And let's let's put some teeth into this law, okay? If anyone does it in the next month, they will be thrown into the lion's den. That sounds like a worthy that sounds like a worthy punishment for breaking such a law, right? And um, the, the the king has no idea that they're tar- targeting Daniel. That, they're targeting Daniel with this, but the king has no idea about that. So the king signs it, and now it's illegal. It's illegal for the next month for anyone to pray to God. It's illegal for anyone to pray to Yahweh. The trap is set, and now Daniel's enemies wait for him to step into the trap. All right? So now we're at verse 10. Read verses 10 through 13. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for thirty days any man who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, "As the law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable." Then they replied to the king, Daniel. Uh, then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed for he th- prays three times a day. So if this if this new law troubles Daniel at all, he doesn't show it. He doesn't show it. He continues his custom. He continues his tradition. When he hears about the law, he does what he always does. He goes to, to the place in his house where he always prays, and he prays at the same time every day that he's always prayed, three times a day towards Jerusalem. And his opponents know where to find him. They know where to find him and they find him in prayer breaking the new law. So they go to the king all innocent like didn't didn't you recently sign a law something about you know no one should be praying to anyone except to you and if they were caught they should, you know if they if they broke the law they should be thrown in the lions den. And the king responds, "Yeah, I signed that law and if you're thinking about changing it, you can't change it because it's the laws of the Medes and Persians which We're famous for being irrevocable. Once the law was signed, it could not be changed, even by the highest authority in the land. And they say, no, we don't want to change the law at all. It's just that Daniel, Daniel's broken the law already. Can you believe that? And so he should probably be thrown in the lion's den, right? Daniel, let's just stop here a minute and just reflect on the fact that Daniel is a godly man. And he has enemies. And I will tell you straight up that if you are a Christian, you have enemies. Or at least you have one enemy and maybe more. First Peter 5 introduces us to our primary enemy. Be serious, the Apostle Peter writes. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the whole world. In light of our current study in Daniel 6, it's appropriate that our our primary enemy, the devil, is portrayed here as a roaring lion. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. Not yet. Um, God, Jesus didn't promise us a rose garden in this life. In the next life, unless you hate roses, then there, there won't be roses there. But... Uh, But the Christian life, the Christian life is a battle. It's not a beach. The Christian life is a battle because we have an enemy, an enemy who is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who who we can devour to trip us up, to make us suffer or what have you. And you know that enemies, you know that other enemies of Christians are roaring all around the world. We bring to you periodically prayer updates about... um, persecution around the world persecuting believers because specifically because of their faith in Christ and even in our own country now some churches are fighting in the courts for the, for employment freedom and christian business people are having to close up shop or pay exorbitant judgments for their unwillingness to participate in sin the enemy roars the enemy roars and daniel in this section is a is a good example for us his character stands out His character stands out. And the only way his enemies could make life rough for him was by using his faithfulness to God against him. And Daniel remains faithful. Even though his enemies have made worship of of his God illegal, he will continue to worship. You may recall that in the book of Daniel, there's a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um... And we are shown there, in in that situation, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded to bow down to a false idol. They were commanded to bow down to a false idol, and they refused to do so. And they were punished for not doing so. There we see how God's faithful people refuse to worship other gods. In Daniel's case, we see how God's faithful people refuse to abstain from the true worship of the true God. Daniel is not deterred by the enemy who roars. He has served with excellence the last 50 to 60 years, but his ultimate allegiance is to the Lord God. And when the laws of those two kingdoms collide, he's going to follow the Lord. In the New Testament, the apostles were imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And then they were brought out of prison. They were brought up on charges or they were brought to trial. And uh, the Jewish leaders commanded them that they were not to witness about Jesus anymore. And Peter responded, we must obey God rather than men. It was a Daniel-like moment where they were also commanded to do, to, not to do something that God had commanded them to do. And Peter responded, in this case, we must obey God rather than men. And that's exactly what Daniel did, too. He was faithful to the king up until the point where the king commanded him to do something that God said he should do. And here's the lesson for us. We should remain faithful to God. Remain faithful to God and trust him to take care of you. Remain faithful to God no matter what and trust him to take care of you. Revelation 2.10, uh, that's not, there it is. Revelation 2.10 says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Here's the, here's the key, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life or I will give you life as your victors crown. So we've looked at the enemy who roars, but now let's look at the God who rescues. The God who rescues. And as we look at the God who rescues, first of all, note the king's failure. Note the king's failure here uh, in verses 14 through 17. Here we see his useless efforts. As soon as the king heard this, He was very displeased. And mind you, he wasn't displeased with Daniel. He wasn't displeased with Daniel. He was displeased with the situation. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went to the king and said to him, You as king know it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king reluctantly gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. So we see the king's useless efforts here. The king is unhappy and not again because Daniel broke the law, but because he realizes it's a bad law. When laws make criminals of good people for doing good things, those are bad laws. So the king does all he can. He bends all his might and wisdom to rescuing Daniel, to delivering him. But he's completely, totally unsuccessful, even though he's the king. His other officials, Daniel's opponents, remind him that the laws of the Medes and Persians cannot be altered. So we see the king's useless efforts. Now see his restless night in verse 18. Verse 18 Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. So you see his restless night. There's no food. He has no food. He has no entertainment. He has no sleep. And then note his anxious morning. His anxious morning in verses 19 to 20. At the first light, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you serve continually, there's a great description, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? So we see the king's utter failure in in being able to deliver Daniel. His useless efforts, his restless night, his anxious morning, all of his efforts, all of his anxiety, all of his restlessness, all of his fasting, what can it accomplish? What can it accomplish? So now let's take a look at God's power. Let's take a look at God's power. In verse 21, we hear Daniel's voice. Then Daniel spoke with the king, May the king live forever. It sounds like Daniel's going to live forever too if he survived the night with the lions. May the king live forever. In verse 22, we learn of Daniel's protection. Excuse me, That we're not ready for... Uh, Andy, can you take me back, please, to uh, let her be God's power? Verse 22, My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They haven't hurt me, for I was found innocent before him. Also, I have not committed a crime against you, my king. So the Lord sent an angel in order to shut the mouths of the lions. Um, It looks like Daniel had a better night than what the king did, right? (laughs) Um, It also looks like that the king wasn't the only one fasting that night. It looks like the, the lions were also fasting. In verse 23, then, we see how total Daniel's protection was. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den uninjured, for he trusted in his God. He was taken out of the den, and he was completely uninjured. That word uninjured, that one word translates a a Hebrew phrase that indicates that there was no There was no harm done. There was no injury found anywhere upon Daniel. And it somewhat compares with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, too. You may recall Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. They were thrown into the midst of a furnace. um, And then the king looked in and saw that they weren't burning up and that there was a fourth guy in there, presumably an angel or even a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus Christ, a divine being that was in there. And so the king ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be hauled out of the furnace. They're brought out of the furnace, and this is what we read. The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair of their heads, heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there wasn't even the smell of fire upon them. Um, you know, I come away from Cheryl's house after a campfire, and I, sm- I have to throw my clothes in the laundry because I smell like smoke, you know. These guys don't even smell like smoke. They don't smell like fire at all. They're completely protected, completely protected, as was Daniel. He came out without a scratch. In the case of Daniel, God and King Darius both want the same thing, right? They both want the deliverance of. Of Daniel. They want him rescued from the lions, but wanting and doing are not the same thing. When it comes to accomplishing Daniel's rescue, the king is a flat failure, but God is the one who rescues. In terms of rescuing Daniel, the king is impotent, but God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. The king bends all his efforts to rescue Daniel. No stone unturned, except for that stone right in front of the den. And he is unsuccessful. He finally gives up and expresses a tepid hope in the only person who can, and that's God. I find I find verse 16 very interesting. Look again at verse 16. The king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Does that sound like a prayer to you? Does that sound kind of like a prayer? Like maybe the king is praying to someone besides himself? Like maybe he might be breaking the law there. Like maybe the one who is supposed to be prayed to is actually praying to the one who can do something. The king fails, but God doesn't. He sends an angel. The lion's mouths were shut. Daniel doesn't have so much as a scratch. Our God is a rescuing God. Our God is a rescuing God. God's people sometimes end up in places that are tight and confining. Think of Joseph in a pit think of Jeremiah in a cistern think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in a furnace or Peter in a jail cell or Paul and Silas in prison or Daniel in a lion's den but God delivers God rescues the enemy may roar but God will rescue the enemy may put you the enemy may put you in very unpleasant circumstances in a very unpleasant situation but the enemy can't keep you there God rescues you may be there for a while, but he will deliver you. Look at what Paul says about a tax made on him. He says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against Alexander because he strongly opposed our message, the gospel. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. I was delivered from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the life of the Apostle Paul, but when he says the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, there are many evil attacks that the Apostle Paul went through. And they're recounted, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, the, the, the Apostle Paul lived a life of suffering on behalf of the gospel. And the Lord rescued him from everyone. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We sing the song, Amazing Grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So we have the enemy who roars. The God who rescues and finally the God who reverses the God who reverses situations the God who reverses unpleasant circumstances or unjust circumstances look at verses 24 through 28 the king then gave the command and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den they their children and their wives they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them And crushed all their bones. So make no mistake, the lions were hungry. The lions were hungry. It's not that the lions weren't hungry, and that's why Daniel survived the night. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth, May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. God is a God of reversals. God effects at least three reversals here in this last passage. First of all, in the case of those of Daniel's enemies, in the case of those jealous leaders, what happened? The power hungry became a power lunch. The power hungry became a power lunch. Daniel's enemies who wanted Daniel eaten by the lions were themselves tossed into the lion's den. Second reversal in the case of the king, the object of worship himself becomes a worshiper. The object of worship became a worshiper. King Darius issued a decree that all must now fear the God of Daniel. The chapter begins with a law, that, um, an edict that you can only pray to the king. That's how the chapter begins. And the chapter ends then with a decree to reverence God. And the third reversal is in the case of Daniel. Daniel prospers, verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He went from the lion's den to back to his position and now he prospers he he flourishes he thrives god makes everything right god makes everything right god is a god of justice daniel's punishment was supposedly irrevocable a law of the medes and persians it couldn't be altered the stone had been sealed with the ring of the king and the ring of the rings of the nobles and yet god reversed that punishment God reversed that punishment. That punishment, that irrevocable, unchangeable judgment became the doom of Daniel's accusers. They set the trap and they fell into it, much as Proverbs 26:27 says, the one who digs a pit will fall into it, and whoever rolls a stone, it will come back on him. Or Proverbs 28:10, whoever leads the upright along an evil path will fall into their own trap, but the blameless will receive a good inheritance. We can't meditate too often on verses like these. God is just. Ultimately, justice and punishment will land where it should land. Sometimes it may look like bad people are prospering and triumphing, while good people are trampled and punished and framed and portrayed as immoral or as haters or as bigots or as extremists. But a day of reckoning is coming, and God's judgment is exact. Daniel weathered the trial. And afterwards, he prospered. And so will it be for all Christians who follow Jesus Christ. Jesus, Remember Jesus' words at the end of John 16. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. First Peter, yeah, First Peter chapter 1. God has given us new birth. God has given, if you're a believer, God has given to you a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never pay, uh, perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This is your future. An inheritance is kept in heaven for you that cannot be diminished. Who through faith, you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's your future, believer. A reversal is coming. You will receive your inheritance in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, Paul says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to come. Now, first of all, let's talk about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was a man of great suffering, and he said that all these sufferings, all these things that he experienced, as they're detailed, for instance in second Corinthians 11, all these things he experienced, they're not even worth comparing with the inheritance, with the glory that is to come. And that applies to you and me as well. It applies to you, believer. Whatever trials or difficulties you may be going through right now, they may seem big right now, and they may be big, but ultimately in comparison to what awaits you, they're nothing. They're nothing. They're small. They're not even comparable. God is a God of reversals. And if you're a Christian, when life is difficult, you nevertheless always have hope with God. He knows your situation, and he is able to rescue, and he will rescue you in his perfect timing. And your future is incredibly bright. And remember, again, Daniel's conduct throughout this great struggle over him. He was always faithful to God. We talked about how God is always in control, and Daniel was always faithful to God. Same truth should apply to us. God is always in control. We know that's true. We should always be faithful to the Lord. The king described Daniel twice as one who continually served God. For instance, in verse 16, "...may your God, whom you serve continually..." May that be said of each one of us. There's a conflict between two kingdoms in this chapter, Darius's kingdom and realm and God's kingdom and realm. We, as believers, are governed by the laws of this land, but we are also governed by God's laws, and when the two conflict, we must follow Peter and follow Daniel We must obey God rather than men. In closing, I want to just point out one other thing. This event in Daniel's life is a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ. In theological terms, Daniel is a type of Christ. Daniel is a type of Christ. And let me let me just show you how, the comparison. Both were framed. Daniel and Jesus were both framed. Daniel was framed by Persian officials. Jesus was framed by Jewish officials. Both were arrested when they were praying. Daniel in his home... Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane Uh, both had the people in charge of their fate working for their release but ultimately failing Darius failed in the case of Daniel Pilate failed he was working for Jesus release but he ultimately failed as well both were handed over to be executed and both survived but with a difference with a difference Daniel emerges without harm and without a scratch. Jesus dies and is pierced, but then he is raised from the dead. And it is in the fact that Jesus didn't at first survive, that he died. It's in the fact that Jesus died that you and I are also rescued from the fate that awaits us, that awaited us, but no longer does because Jesus died for our sins. Did you know that the Bible specifically says in a couple different spots that Daniel, the person of Daniel, cannot save anybody? He cannot be your savior. For instance, in Ezekiel chapter 14, If I send a plague into that land and pour out my wrath on it through bloodshed, killing its people and their animals, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save neither son nor daughter. They would save only themselves by their righteousness. As righteous as Noah and Job and Daniel were, they can't save anyone, but Jesus can And he did so by his death. In his death, you have been potentially rescued from sin, rescued from death, rescued from hell, rescued from everlasting misery, and rescued from the lion that is prowling around that is seeking to devour you. Your eternal futures, your eternal fortunes and destination have been potentially eternally reversed in Jesus Christ. And I say the word potentially because it all rests on whether you have put your faith in Jesus Christ or not. It all rests on whether you trust in the Lord Jesus for your salvation. As Paul once told a man who asked him how to be saved, he said, how can I be saved? Paul responded, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that's the same for you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Trust in him. Believe on him. And you will be saved. And your eternal future will be reversed it will be changed it will be transformed into something grand and glorious let's pray together our heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for the the account of daniel um, in the lion's den Uh, it paints a realistic picture for us as believers not that we'll be thrown to lions per se but that we have an enemy Um, we have an enemy in this world And that we should always be vigilant and on guard, but praise the Lord, we have a God who rescues, a God who protects, a God who reverses circumstances and situations, and we have a sure hope because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Help us to walk and rest and live in that confidence that you are in control. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.